0: Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I'm Brian Yeager. I'm glad you've tuned in to listen. What we're going to talk about today is the abundant mercy of God. And I'm going to start off with a little bit of a lengthy reading. Uh, The more and more I think about how I wanted to kick off this podcast, I thought, well, I, I want to start off talking about how man is often not merciful and I thought about Matthew 18, 23 through 35, and then I thought some more, and I thought, you know, I'm going to go ahead and back up and pick up 15 through 35, and then I thought some more, and I thought, well, I kind of want to jump back to verse 12, and then I thought some more. Turns out, you know what, I just want to read the whole chapter to you. I want to start off by getting us to think about uh, mercy from the standpoint of Jesus Christ, and th- that's what matters. Uh, So, without any further delay, Matthew 18, starting at verse 1, says, At the same time, and this is after chapter 17, where uh, there was a discussion that was made about uh, paying tribute. And so, at the same time, came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. And he said, Verily I say unto you, Except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whosoever, or whoso, shall offend one of these little ones, which believe in me. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he was drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off. And cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye, rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you, that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. So a question about who is the greatest of the kingdom of heaven turns into everything Jesus just taught to be converted and becomes a little child, to be humble, to receive uh, little children, not to offend the little ones, and then woe unto those that cause offenses— And offenses are going to come, but hey, listen, it's better for you to remove anything that will bring about offense than to go into everlasting fire. And then back to despise not one of these little ones. And then the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. So from then, Jesus then asked them a question. And remember, all of this teaching starts with who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So Jesus then says, and Matthew eighteen twelve, How think ye? If a man have a hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine, and goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray? And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoices more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Now from there from, hey, be converted, become as little children, and everything that's been taught, the importance of one soul that is lost being restored, then, moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee. so think about this jump. How important one soul is, that the purpose of Christ's coming, and not solely, but one of, to save that which was lost, and of course he started off preaching to the lost house of Israel, the gospel. Even when the great commission was being fulfilled by the apostles, uh, was first to the Jew and then to the Greek. Romans one sixteen. So he says, moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Now what's the backdrop of this though, right? The Son of Man has come to save which is lost. The value of one's soul. Woe unto who offences come. So a brother trespasses against you. An offense comes. Go and tell him his fault between him and you alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. Okay, verse 16. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church, but if you neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. So have witnesses, because that's the biblical pattern from the law of Moses uh, then being brought here into Christ, and we even see it when Paul was going to Corinth uh, and, and was going to come and bring two witnesses, etc. I don't want to jump off on a different subject, but here's the pattern. If they're not going to be heard, now these witnesses come as a testimony for the church, then the church is not heard, well then that person is supposed to be a cast out, right? A castaway. But this is in the context of the Son of man's come to save that which is lost. This is in the context of the value of one soul. Well, what happens when somebody is essentially withdrawn from from their brethren? Matthew eighteen eighteen, verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on the earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. We're talking about somebody's salvation here being in the hands of their brethren, and whom an offense has occurred against. Verse nineteen. Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth, now this is in the context of what? Take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may may be established. So again, Matthew 18, 19. If two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them, my Father, which is in heaven. For where two or three gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Again, the pattern of the scriptures is that things are established, fact is established, charges can be made with two or three witnesses. But then what what is determined, what is set forth is then determined and set forth into eternity. That is something to think about, right? When you think about it, something to think about. You have a Problem that is brought privately, and now it's going to be dealt with in a manner where the consequences are down to the soul. Oh, think of the importance of that. S- step back and consider what happens if somebody's soul is eternally lost because the problem started with you. Now, when you start thinking about mercy and being merciful. Right, so Peter understands everything that Jesus just taught in a way that causes him to ask this question in Matthew 18 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? So, after these 20 verses that we've just read, that's the question that Peter brings up because. Peter wants to know, how am I to deal with these offenses? Should I forgive them? Should I, you know, what we bind on earth is going to be bound in heaven. What, what should we do? So Jesus said to him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. So Jesus just stretches that number. Of course, anybody that's going to sit there and have like a notebook of how many times they forgave somebody, keeping some kind of accounting process, You might as well just hang up this lesson because you're an unmerciful person, like you're looking forward to somebody being lost. How can that be the case? Well, from there, Jesus teaches, beginning in verse 23, "...therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And he began to reckon one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents." But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then, Lord, that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, so it's in comparison a lot less, he laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, "Pay me that thou owest." And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, "Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all." And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. Now, you know, there's a balance of everything that's being taught uh, in the scriptures. Uh, unconditional forgiveness is a false doctrine. Repentance, even when it comes to our forgiving somebody of their trespasses, and and, and you know when you take into account Luke 17. Uh, 3 and 4. And by the way, when you read 1 through 4, it, it summarizes a lot of what we're talking about, where Luke 17, it is impossible that offenses will come, but woe well unto him to whom they will come is better for him than millstone were hanged about his neck, cast in the sea, than he shall offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves, thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shall forgive him. So you can see the condition of repentance that is put forth uh, there by our Lord. This is not a different Jesus. This is the same Jesus teaching, but he's reacting to Jesus, or not to Jesus' question, but to Peter's question till seven times, right? So here you have this servant that Jesus brings up who has been forgiven of a great debt, but then has no compassion on one that owes him. Uh, The reason I started in this chapter is because of what we're reading now, right now. There's a lot of lessons I wanted you to hear that you know are given to us in this uh, context. But when we look at mankind, mankind tends to be very unmerciful. Uh, think about the culture in the United States of America. It is called canc- uh, c- cancer culture. <laughs> yeah, well, it's that too. But cancel culture where somebody maybe finds something that someone said X amount of years ago on a social media platform or in a video or whatever else, and they bring it up in the modern day where the values of America have drastically changed, and they condemn that person. People lose jobs, and not just jobs. People lose careers. People end up getting held accountable for things that they, that they might have changed on. A lot of people would say, you know, I said that when I was young and stupid. I don't, didn't mean that. Or this is taken out of context. And people are just unmerciful. As if you've never needed mercy. That's the problem with the servant that's been forgiven. He forgot the mercy that was shown unto him. And when his fellow servant said, have patience with me, I will pay thee all, he cast him into prison. Well, in verse 31, So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after he had called him, said to him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desiredest me. Should not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him so likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother trespasses. That is a huge point. Uh, and, And I wanted to bring this up because we're going to talk about the abundant mercy of God. I wanted to start here because we don't want to confuse that with the lack of mercy that we see in mankind, that we might... All have experienced, or if you haven't, you likewise, you likely will sometime in your future, that people can be very unmerciful. People and God ought not be put together in a way that you're comparing God's mercy with man's. Jesus is able to teach this uh, parable of the servant, in essence because it is accurate in so many ways then and now. People tend to forget that they've needed mercy and they go out into the world and show no mercy. So when we when we're thinking about our lesson today, I want you to step away from thinking about how man generally reacts, how people tend to hold on to things. You know, uh, people have these memories like, do you remember what you did 25 years ago? Um, Maybe you've repented of that. You've confessed it before God. You've laid it aside because it's forgiven, but man resurrects it and brings it back up and throws it into your face. People like to do things like that. What we're going to talk about is how God doesn't do that. And why it's so important. Why, why do we need to be able to trust in God's mercy and not allow what man will often do to us to blind us to what true mercy is from our Creator? Paul, when he wrote Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8-10, through 10, he said, "...be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God." who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light according to the, or through the gospel. So not according to our works, okay? Not looking at uh, God and, and saying, I'm going to do something that's going to cause him to be merciful. I want you to remember some things about our good works. In Luke 17, 7 through 10, But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him, By and by, then he has come from the field, go and sit down to meet. And will not rather say to him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me. To have eaten and drunk, and an afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant, because he did the things which were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise ye, when you've done all those things which were commanded you, say, we're unprofitable servants, we have done that which is our duty to do. When we are doing everything God wants us to do, we are still unprofitable servants. Like, What are you doing for the Almighty that somehow adds up to earning His mercy, to earning His grace? I bring this up because with man, it's almost like if you do something bad against them, um, and, and you're truly sorry, and you want to make it right, it's like they equate, like, like Peter did, how many times do I have to forgive you? Like, this is something that now you have to do something for me that rights that wrong. Well, with God, there's not this payback type mentality, like you need to somehow do so many works that will surpass the evil that you have done. That becomes bondage for people. And it becomes a form of self righteousness, and that is terrible. Um, in Ezekiel thirty-three thirteen, when I shall say to the righteous that he shall surely live, if he trust in his own righteousness and commit iniquity, all his righteousness shall not be remembered, For but for his iniquity that he commit, committed, he shall die for it. You can't say, Lord, look at all the good I've done, it outweighs the evil. That's not why Jesus came to save that which is lost. That's not why Jesus brought mercy and forgiveness into this world. It's not why God, even before Jesus came to this world, has shown mercy to his people, because we're going to talk about this subject from both the Old and the New Testament. God's, part of God's character is mercy. You can't say, I'm going to do A, B, C, D, however, and it's going to right this wrong, in Philippians chapter three, verses seven through nine, but think what what things were gained to me; those I counted for loss, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. You know, we, we get the we get this sense of of debt, and and it's not necessarily wrong. Paul said, "I am debtor." both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both of the wise and the unwise in Romans 1 verse 14. When you've done a lot of wrong, you feel indebted. But with that feeling of debt, you can't ever get this idea that you can pay it yourself. If you could do that, Jesus wouldn't have had to come into the world. Grace wouldn't be part of our discussion. Mercy wouldn't be part of our discussion. It would be you're paying your own debts. Think about what Paul wrote to Titus in Titus chapter 3, the first eight verses Um, Titus is an evangelist, so he's being told, "...put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, be ready to give every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but be gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared." not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. By the washing, washing of regeneration and renewing the Holy Ghost, which shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. So, yes, works matter. I mean, when Jesus comes, he's going to judge our works. Matthew sixteen twenty-seven: The Son of Man shall come, and the glory of his Father his the angels. Then he shall reward every man according to his works. John five twenty-eight and 29, Marvel not at this. The hour is coming, and they which are in the grave shall hear his voice, shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, they that have done evil and the resurrection of damnation, So when you look at Matthew 16, 27, and John 5, 28, 29, works matter. Yes. But Jesus did not come because of anybody's works. And this should be obvious to you, and it should be obvious to me. We weren't alive. You couldn't have done anything to bring our Savior into the world because that happened, you know, over 2,000 years ago. We haven't done anything to earn that. We haven't said, you know, look, look, Lord... (laughs) I'm bringing you down here because I'm a good person and my goodness has exceeded no. Jesus came to the cross of God's plan and design before the foundation of the world, First 1 Peter 1:18 1, through20. That was the plan. okay? So when we think about salvation, which is still ahead of us, if you're a faithful Christian, you've obeyed the gospel, you've been washed with your sins and all that that entails, great. But your salvation isn't realized yet. And that realization of salvation is from the abundant mercy of God. The language of the title of, of, of this podcast comes from 1 Peter chapter 1. I want you to listen to verses 1-9. through 9. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God, through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being more precious than that of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, ye love, and whom thou now ye see him, not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. The abundant mercy of God. What a powerful statement Not limited, not short, not like mankind that has, you know, 150,000 different uh, pre-requirements where when you think you've obtained mercy, man is still saying, no, you still have one more hoop to jump through. No. And we see this in God. Uh, You know, for, for those of you who are in Christ, you understand the role that Jesus played. And for those of you that may be listening to this that are not in Christ, those who are not the children of God by faith in, in Christ, that have not been baptized into Christ, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, Galatians 3, 26-29, I want you to know that God has been merciful. And I, like I mentioned before, we can even see this in the Old Testament. You know, for example, in Numbers chapter 14, I'm going to read to you a little bit of a lengthy reading, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm doing a little bit more than I normally do in podcasts, but I hope you're not in a rush. I, I, I'm not in a rush to get this out, but context certainly matters, and context is key. So I want to give you a little bit more than just one verse and some of these contexts, especially because this subject is just wonderful. The world that we live in, man, people hold on to so many things, and we just don't see mercy we, we don't see it in our justice system. We don't see it uh, in churches of hypocrites, which are the majority of the churches that are out there. We don't see it from people who are in our neighborhoods. We don't see it from family members. You know, um, I, I was uh, brought up in a single parent home and I lived the majority of my life with my mother. And then uh, a few years with my father and, and, and uh, stepmother. And I love all of them. Um, but there was something that I, I didn't realize while I was living in the moment. But now through maturity and, and knowledge of the scriptures, I understand it more now. Wow. Uh, my mother and father, they had a bitter past. Uh, my mother, uh, unfortunately, was a habitual liar. So when I moved in with my father, uh, my father kind of transposed some of his feelings towards his, my mother onto me. And he just always assumed I was lying because she was a liar. So even when I was telling the truth, and there were times where I was lying, unfortunately, uh, even a time in my uh, faith when, when I wasn't right with the Lord. And, and I mean, unfortunately, he didn't pick up on that. But there were times where I'm absolutely telling the truth, but he just couldn't see it. And there were times where I tried to right wrongs, and and there just couldn't be mercy. And, and, And we can't put that onto God. I don't put that onto God. In fact, I love God, and I love my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ so much because of the lack of mercy that I've seen in my own life from man. I'm so thankful. And and it's why I love to teach on this subject because I I want you to know that. Um, You know, when we look in our lives, I have a past that is very sinful. And a lot of people in my past probably would not get over some of the things that I've done to them. But my Father in Heaven, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they're not like men. So I can have a relationship that's pure and renewed where, you know, I'm not, I'm not afraid of the judgment day. I'm not afraid of standing before Jesus Christ like we all will to give an account, 2 Corinthians 5.10, and him saying, do you remember what you did in 1984? Do you remember what you did in 1986? Because understanding the mercy of our creator and of our savior, you know that's not gonna be thrown back on you once you have received forgiveness. So back here, I'm, I'm sorry to get off on that tangent. I, I just, I love this subject. Uh, when I came here to do this podcast, I, I told my wife, I said, I'm not feeling it. And man, as soon as we start getting into the scriptures, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. I I, I I, wish I just had four and a half hours. I know some of you are sitting there going, what? Four and a half hours? I'm on my way to work. I don't have that much time. Well, pick up later. I, I, and I can't go beyond 90 minutes, so I'm limited anyway. Uh, but I got you in Numbers 14. It um, says in verse one, all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or God we had died in this wilderness. Wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return unto Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain, and let us return into Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephthah, which were of them which that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we passed through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us unto this land and give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defense is departed from him, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, how long will this people provoke me? How long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have showed among them? I will smite them with pestilence and disinherit them and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. And Moses said unto the Lord, then the Egyptians shall hear it. For thou broughtest up this people that thou might uh, be from among them. And they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. For they have heard that the Lord art among this people, that the Lord art seen face to face, and that the cloud standeth over them, and that thou goest before them by daytime in a pillar of cloud and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if thou shalt kill all this people as one man, then the nations which have heard of the fame of thee will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able... ...to bring this people in the land which he is swearing them. Therefore he has slain them in the wilderness. And now I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great... ...according as thou hast spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy... ...forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty... ...visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people... ...according unto the greatness of thy mercy that thou hast forgiven this people... From Egypt even until now. When you're studying the Old Testament, when Israel came out of Egypt, they provoked God many times. Now, after this, um, a generation is going to be made to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And it's used in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, as a teaching point for Christians. But God was merciful to them. He allowed Israel to continue and time and time again did so that Psalms said things like this in Psalm 86, 15, but thou, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. In Psalm 103, 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. And Psalm 145, 8, the Lord is gracious and gracious, and full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. The children of Israel were able to make statements like that because when they did dumb things like you read in Numbers 14, forgiveness and mercy was still possible. It was still there. And you think about that. Man, there are people that, you know, are just real quick, uh, and they won't give anybody an opportunity to stand forth. They won't hear a mediator. You know, Moses acted as a mediator. Now we have a mediator in Christ Jesus, uh, 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5. We have a go-between. He stands uh, before our Father in heaven, or sits on his right hand, and he is the mediator for us, Um uh, he is the one that we have as our advocate, so that mercy can continue. and that if you were to sin, you know, in First John chapter 2, this is written to Christians and in the context of Christians not denying that they've sinned, but confessing their sins in verses eight through 10 of the previous chapter. In First John 2, one and two, my little children, these things write unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So, Christians, you have somebody advocating for you. If you're outside of Christ, you have somebody advocating for you. Jesus is advocating for you. He is on the right hand of the Father in heaven, advocating that man have the opportunity to repent. The reason the world still stands? 2 Peter 3.9 is because God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. When we look at the New Testament, the New Covenant, you know, under the Old Covenant, what we're about to read, um, what we're about to read is Hebrews chapter 8, verses 10 through 13. And this was prophesied under the Old Covenant in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Hebrews 8, 10 through 13 says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, said Lord. I will put my laws in their mind, write them in their hearts, and will be unto them a God, and they shall be unto me a people. They shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And that he saith, A new covenant he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. I want you to think about the all-knowing God who's able to say their sins and their iniquities, well, I remember no more. Wow. Boy, the mercy of God, again, you can't compare it to man. You can't compare it to man. Even when Faithful Christians forgive other faithful Christians. Here's one thing that often does not happen in part because of an inability to do so. People don't wipe their memories of someone's past sins. They may forgive them. They may show mercy, but they don't forget them. They don't put them aside like they never happened. God does that, though. Their iniquities will I remember no more. That's the point that I was making when I said, when you're standing before Jesus, he's not going to be bringing up something that you did in 1980, whatever. If you've confessed and you repented of that sin, it's forgiven and forgotten. That's wonderful. That's the abundant mercy of God at work. Now listen, in the middle of this, I want to balance it, because people sometimes tend to take things like mercy for granted. We don't want to do that. In Hebrews chapter ten, there was a problem. Uh, you know, there were people that were forsaking the assembling of the saints. Verse twenty-five. And verse 26 to 31, says, For if we sin willfully after that we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice from sin. So there's not a plan B after Jesus, okay? What there is, though, continuing on, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fire indignation, what should devour the adversaries? He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. That, back to what we were talking about Matthew eighteen sixteen, right? Two or three witness principle. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified in a holy thing, an unholy thing, and hath done despite in the spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongs unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. There is a balance in God. As much as there is an abundance of mercy, there's also a severity. In Romans 11, in a context where it's talking about Jews and Gentiles being part of the same tree, in essence, uh, the Gentiles being grafted in, in Romans 11, 22, Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but to thee, goodness, if, 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 here's the condition, if, if, Thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shall be cast off. The goodness and the severity of God, there's both. And there's qualifiers for God's mercy, right? We just read a qualifier there. Qualifier there, right? Um, And Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 5, I said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God, that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him, and observe his commandments. And if you think there's some kind of distinction here in the New Testament, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, John 14, 15. Not, so not a distinction. Same principle. God's character hasn't changed. The law has, but God's character hasn't. And Psalm 103, 11 says, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. And Isaiah chapter 55, when, hey, there's there's an expiration on seeking him, verse 6 Verse seven, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Yet the wicked had to forsake his way and the unrighteous his thoughts had to return to the Lord. Then mercy comes. In the book of Daniel chapter nine and verse four, Daniel says, I prayed on the Lord my God and made my confession and so, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy, notice, to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. Remember the principle, one of the principles we talked about when we were reading through Matthew chapter 18 about the unmerciful servant. James 2 and verse 13 says, for he shall have judgment without mercy that showed no mercy and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. If I'm not merciful, if I'm not obedient if I'm not following the word of God, if I'm not loving him, I'm not going to be able to depend on his mercy. And once I have found mercy and once I have embraced the Lord, I need to maintain that relationship. And Jude verse 21, it's a one chapter book, says, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ into eternal life. So not like, hey, I've got it and it can't go away. I've got to hold on to it and look forward to it. Like salvation Mercy is going to be realized for us in the day of judgment. So we don't want to take mercy for granted. What we want to do is use it as a motivator for good. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, great verses uh, in verses 1 and 2 that are here, I think you're going to maybe see a great application that all of us can think about making. Paul and Timothy are the penmen of this letter. Of course, the Lord is the uh, author of all the scriptures, um, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. Did you hear that? As we have received mercy, we faint not. W- what's Paul and Timothy doing with mercy? They're using it as a motivator to keep on going. It says, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So having received mercy, we faint not. Using mercy as a motivator to keep on keeping on rather than a justification to sin. In Romans 6, 1 and 2, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. There's the answer to the question. Then the point after that, how should we that are dead to sin live any longer they're in? You don't look at God's mercy and say, you know what? I'm going, I'm going to use this because, you know, there's there's no credit limit. Yes, there is the abundant mercy of God, and there is not seven times. At the same time, that doesn't mean God says, go ahead and keep charging it and charging it and charging it, and I'll keep wiping it and wiping it and wiping it. You got to catch that balance, there are conditions. Use mercy as a motivator for good. Use his mercy as a motivator for love. In first John chapter 4, verse 10 first, and then I'm gonna read 17 through 19. It says herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then first John 4, 17 through 19, herein there's our love made perfect, made complete, whole that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. We look at the mercy of God, the love of God. This is our motivator. It's our motivator to love him back. When we look at his mercy and we consider it and we think about it, it should move us. In 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, the love of Christ constraineth us. Like, you know what? I'm I'm brought captive by it. Not in a negative way, in a good way. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which should live, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Motivation. Motivation. I look at the love of God, the mercy that's bestowed through the love of God, and, man, I'm motivated. I'm comforted, and I want to come back to this point, of the abundance of His mercy. I'm comforted because I know it's it's not going to be exhausted. Back in the Old Testament, in 1 Chronicles 16, 34, it says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. And Psalm 103 verse 17, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto his children's children. We we can hold on to mercy, not abusing it, but hold on to it. I'm not going to keep bringing that back up, okay? I hope you got it by now because I want you to think about the comforting fact of the mercy of God. Let's say somebody has done the most horrific things, murder. The apostle Paul did that, right? was guilty of innocent blood. In first Timothy chapter one, verses twelve through sixteen, it says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor, and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all exception. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Christ Jesus might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe unto him to life everlasting. Paul says, look at me. Look at my life. Now, he's not using this as a boastful manner. He's not saying, you know, look at the good works that I've done. He's saying, no. Because of Jesus, because of Jesus, because he came into the world to save sinners. Because of that, he obtained mercy. God's mercy is a reason to be happy and delight, to be thankful. Psalm 107 and verse 1 says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. To make me happy, to, to rejoice in Psalm thirteen five but I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. And folks, that's before God says, I'm not going to remember your sins anymore. Because under the old covenant, there was a remembrance of sin every year. Hebrews 10, 1 through 18. But in that same context, now there is remission of sins. That didn't happen under the old law. So, wow, the abundant mercy of God, that which we do not see in the world, which we have available to us abundantly because of Jesus Christ, our Lord, unto eternal life. I want to come back to a psalm, and I'm going to allow this psalm to be the conclusion of this podcast. And... It's psalm one thirty six. And you know, think about, I, I always when I'm reading the Psalms, I think, man, the children of Israel sung this over and over again, which to me just makes me marvel. when here in El Paso, when we're having Bible classes and we're discussing scriptures, one of the points we've discussed several times is how could the children of Israel sing some of these psalms and then turn around and walk away from God? it's it's it makes you marvel, makes you marvel. But Psalm 136 is is so inspiring. Um, It says, the text says, "'Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods, excuse me, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endureth forever. To him who alone doeth great wonders.'" for His mercy endureth forever. To Him that by wisdom made the heavens, for His mercy endureth forever. To Him that stretcheth out the earth above the waters, for His mercy endureth forever. To Him that made great lights, for His mercy endureth forever. The sun to rule by day, for His mercy endureth forever. The moon and stars to rule by night, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that smote Egypt and the firstborn, for his mercy endureth forever. And brought out Israel from among them, for his mercy endureth forever. With a strong hand and with a stretched out arm, for his mercy endureth forever. To him which divided the Red Sea into parts, for his mercy endureth forever. And made Israel to pass through the midst of it, for his mercy endureth forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his mercy endureth forever. To him which led his people through the wilderness, for his mercy endureth forever. To him which smote great kings, for his mercy endureth forever. Forever and slew famous kings, for his mercy endureth forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his mercy endureth forever, and Og, the king of Bashan, for his mercy endureth forever, and gave their land for an inheritance, for his mercy endureth forever. Even inheritance unto Israel, his servant for his mercy endureth forever who remembereth us in our low estate for his mercy endureth forever and hath redeemed us from our enemies for his mercy endureth forever who giveth food to all flesh for his mercy endureth forever o oh, give thanks unto the god of heaven for his mercy endureth Forever, folks, whatever it may be that you have done, God's mercy is there to meet you. You can have salvation to come if you will turn to him with all your heart, mind and soul. If you're not a Christian through obedience to the gospel, contact me. We'll have a Bible study. My phone number is 915 525-5794. We'll go through the scriptures and we'll see the things that people who were not in Christ did to be in Christ, to receive the forgiveness of our sins. We will study through the the accounts of conversion in the book of Acts, of non-Christians coming to Christ, and we will see what they did to have their sins forgiven. I will help you with that. You can email me Brian at wordsoftruth.net, but eventually I'm gonna to want to talk to you somehow, some way, because things get lost in written communication. Like John said, you know, what? he wanted to come and see them to their face at the conclusion of Third John. There are things to write, but it's better to talk. Okay, so we need to find a way to talk. If you're anywhere near El Paso, Texas, we can meet in person. If you're across the globe, we can we can uh, meet through means like Skype or some other computer technology let me help you. My job, like Timothy evangelist, is to preach the word, 2 Timothy 4, 2. I'd love the opportunity to help you because there is the abundant mercy of God so that you can be forgiven, so that you can forgive yourself. I think most honest people who have transgressed have been at a point where Job was in Job 42, 1 through 6, where he abhorred himself for the evil that he did. Listen, Don't let that self abhorrence turn into a spiritual death. Let that abhorrence, godly sorrow, turn to repentance, 2 Corinthians 7, 9, and 10, and repentance to conversion. I want to help you. I want to help you to know the abundant mercy of God. I have had sins in my past, and I can tell you that there is a peace that passes understanding. And I'm not just saying that because the scriptures saying it. I won't even quote the Scripture. I know that peace to know that you have God's mercy. I want to share it with you. I want, not just through the Scriptures we've looked at, but how you could obtain it, hold fast to it. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, there'll be another podcast, if all goes according to plan, on Tuesday, where we're going to look at, uh, a passage of scripture out of the book of Hosea where they counted the word of God as a strange thing. We're going to talk about that. Hope you're tuned back in to listen. Until then, thank you so much.